Welcome to Spritz and Scrums, a podcast by three Benetton fans with a love for Aperol and all things Rugby Italiano. The Six Nations has well and truly kicked off and Italy are here to play. So we're back from Rome. Certainly are. It's a long way from Rome, coach. Yeah, I had a really, I had a really good weekend, and I'm sad to be back. Genuinely sad to be back. What's the weather like in Birmingham? It's not sad about the weather. Oh, are mm. you not sad about the weather? Part of it, I'm sure. Yeah, it's part of it, but mostly just it was such a good weekend, wasn't it? It was. You, actually, do you know what? He's probably not sad about the weather because he spent a lot of time complaining about it being too hot. <laughs> it was hot. I was sweating in my gilet. You spent the entire weekend in a t-shirt and a gilet. I just want, I want the listener to picture this. A man in the very first few days of February, the coldest time of year, in a t-shirt with a gilet. So basically there were no sleeves available for coach this weekend. And I brought shorts. <laughs> I brought shorts. I should have worn them. Do you know what? Was I was surprised by the number of men in shorts and flip-flops. I, I mean, truly, on what planet? Do they live? Well, that's the England game. The Scotland game, they're all going to be in kilts and T-shirts, 100%. So no boxers? Well, maybe, maybe not. But they're not there for thermal properties necessarily when they're wearing the kilts. I don't know. I actually would like to know. It's like... irrelevant. Irrelevant, Your Honour. <laughs> but it, uh, any Scottish listeners, because obviously back in the day, the whole point was they didn't wear like pants. But I wonder now if your average Scottish person, they surely, especially like your drunk Scottish person at a rugby no, game. No, have you met a Scottish person? They're obviously going to wear met... underwear. Are you kidding? Have they, you met one? They're like drunk and falling around. They're yeah, not going to risk it. Yeah, and they're proud of it. They love it. It makes them feel happy. And if you tell them the whole thing about personalised tartan was made up by an Indian businessman at the turn of the century, they get really angry with you. Is that true? You. Yeah, it's true. Wow. To be fair, if I could wear a kilt, Every day, I would. <laughs> Do you think that Scottish people could just show up to work in a kilt and like nobody could get angry at them, like in business or finance or whatever? Probably. I mean, they'll work from home now, but <laughs> yeah, probably. You went to a wedding once in a kilt. I did. And I loved it. I secretly loved it. An Irish kilt. This podcast was... is so confused. Wait, why are we in a kilt? You're not even Scottish. Irish. Uh, Irish people get wear different kilts? tartans. They can, no. yeah. No, sorry, I had no idea. Irish people can wear kilts. You were at the wedding. Yeah, I know I was there, but I sort of didn't realise. There's realize a picture it. of it there. We're going to have to put this on YouTube. <laughs> show, show that. <laughs> it's true. Look at you. And you. Were you wearing pants just for the listener yeah. to get? Oh, oh. Well, then I'm right. But yeah, but I have, I have friends like Eddie. Guess what he's going to do? <laughs> Richard's not wearing any pants. He's wearing a skirt. I wouldn't do that. I'm so confused. Yes, I thought you were just wearing it because Ed, the the groom, was Scottish and it was like everyone had to wear a kilt who was part of the wedding party. He said wear a kilt, but on, on the arrival to the wedding, I thought he had pranked me just to see if he could get me into a kilt <laughs> and if I would believe that he'd be wearing a kilt. Thankfully, he was. He's also English. It, so we've got an English-Irish, an English-Scot. I'm english with an Italian rugby podcast. None of this is a good intro to a podcast. No, anyway. it's not. But you know what? As Teresa said, we're all citizens of everywhere, which makes us citizens of nowhere. 
Right, Great. sorry. And now the last listener that we have... <laughs> has clocked <laughs> off. Just, she's just gone. <laughs> Welcome get back, guys. I'm sorry for the weird segue that we just went on. We are back from our lovely weekend in Rome, our beautiful weekend in Rome, and we're here to talk about... Well, I guess generally the Six Nations first weekend, but specifically the game that we flew out to see, which was Italy, England. Final score, 24-27. Never before have Italy come that close to beating England. Never before have Italy put that many points on England. Never before have they scored more tries in a game than England. And yet they lost to England. How do we feel overall? I think they could have, should have won it. I think the first 20 minutes of the second half when they just couldn't get out of their own territory, that was them being a bit naive. People will say that's England being good. I disagree. And I know it's hard to say that one side was good and one side was crap when one side won and one side lost. But I'll say I think Italy were good. And I think England were pretty crap because I expect England to be world beaters. And look, they scored their second try about 45 minutes in. They went the last 35 minutes without scoring a try. Yeah. So that's unimpressive. They scored two points per entry to the Italy 22. That's desperately unimpressive. They conceded three tries with terrible defence. And all the English pundits go, oh, well, we've got this new Phoenix Jones and it's a new system. Guys, they've been in camp for two weeks. Yeah. Right. The the Premiership gave them the time off because that's how the RFU works. The Italy team had a new coach and half the players were playing last weekend in France and England. So that argument doesn't hold any water. Italy had five training sessions before that game. Five, Not only five training sessions, five training sessions with a brand new coach. Brand new. This man stepped in to the job on the 1st of January, basically. Like five days training with a brand new coach. And the first half, you know, coach said last week, England are going to come out and try and win it Mm -hmm. early on. Within the first 20, he said. Italy did it. Yeah, I agree with you. The the first 20 minutes of the second half is what kind of killed them. And I do think it was probably a little bit of of inexperience dealing with being on top and how you kind of continue to seal off a game. If we think back, actually, to Benetton of old, which isn't going back too far when I say of old, I'm saying like in the last sort of year, year and a half, um, Benetton would be up 20 odd points. And then somehow they'd still throw games away. That luckily, touch all the wood, isn't happening this season. But it kind of, I think, hasn't quite translated into, you know, an Italy team at a Six Nations up at half time. It's rare in itself. You've got to learn and, you've, and you can only learn from experiencing it, how to see games out and how to stay on top. Having said that, I think what you mentioned, Eddie, about England scoring two tries, Italy scored three tries. Their second try came 44 minutes in and then that was it. So it felt like a bigger deficit. And because obviously the clock was in the red and the score was 10 points, uh, England 27, Italy 17, there wasn't the excitement that uh, sort of the final score might suggest with a 24-27 final score. But yes, England maybe didn't perform as well as they thought they should, could, would. But I also think one of the most important things to take away from this is that Italy defended their asses off Italy, put them, shut them down. Italy stopped them scoring anymore after that 44th minute try. Italy's defence was superb. Absolutely superb. And that's part of the reason why England kept taking points, because they weren't breaking them down. They were going nowhere. 
the two tries that they had. For one, I think Mitchell was held. I don't think that has any effect on the result of the game because it actually would have meant that England kicked the penalty at the end instead of going for the corner. So they would have won by six points instead of three. If Mitchell was actually called up for double movement or... You know. Or the forward pass just before that try. So I thought the game was well officiated, to be honest. I thought yeah. it, was, it, was, it was generally really well officiated. Well, I thought, actually, let's do a shout out because I thought what was really good was every time the ref did get a couple of calls wrong, his assistant refs and touch, um, touch judges were like, yo, you got this wrong. And he kept saying to Lamoureux or whoever, look, if I've got it wrong, they will tell me. And they did. And that's something I've been waiting to see in rugby forever. When the ref has so much responsibility on him, he is the main ref, but you've got four other people, three other people to tell you like, yo, let me help you out. You've got this wrong. And so often they don't say anything. Yeah, I thought the game was well officiated. I also thought that Italy didn't let the occasion get to them like they did against the Wales game. I think yeah. they were pretty cool under pressure. And yeah, they didn't let it get to their heads. Even when they went up, they didn't capitulate. They continued the same patterns that they were running. Yeah, and I think they, they, they thought the whole way through that game that they could win that. Yeah. Um, 100%. They were all in, and it was really, really good to see. It's a sign of huge growth. I mean, we're talking, we're sort of jumping right to the end uh, without sort of mentioning the beginning of the game or setting the atmosphere. But in the 78th minute, England was sitting on Italy's try line and it was a collective bringing down of them all. Lamado gets yellow carded and you're like, okay, here we are. We're sitting on a score that's 17-27. Six years ago, five years ago, Italy give away that final try and the final score you're sitting on is 17-34 and that is deeply, deeply misrepresentative of what you actually saw in that game. They didn't do that. They went on to get that final score and get a losing bonus point. And they got a losing bonus point against England. And it wasn't just that they got that try because it was an interception and one person ran. Yeah. It was like England went for the scrum and Italy won a penalty at the scrum. And then they went. And then they ploughed it all up with strong runs. And then they had a cross-field kick. Mental. And then it went back. <laughs> and then next thing you know, it was like all facets of play before Monty eventually made his super break. But by the time they'd made their super break, they'd already got to the halfway yeah. line. It wasn't, I mean, it was the final moment that Monty had. Obviously, it was an individual piece of brilliance. But they worked their way back up to that halfway line through a collective team effort. It was superb. And it was superb determination, as you say, coach. Even though, yeah, it got to the 78th minute, you're 10 points behind, you can't win it. But you're definitely not going to give them another try to make that scoreline even further apart. You're going to come back and lose it by three points. Yeah, Italy were the better team. Out of all the scores they tried, I think two of them had, they had options either side of them. So it looked like a New Zealand team out there. Like Monty could have given it, I think, left and right. Yeah. Um, and the first try as well, he had options. So it, was, it wasn't an accident. I think it was planned. Um, and structured, and they executed on it really, really well. And we've been saying for ages how good Benetton's attack is, how good Zebra's attack's becoming, and they showed it. That that They had some of the best tries this weekend. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think the second try, the second Italy try, the Tommy Allen try, was, we said it while we were sat there watching it, and we had brilliant seats, guys. Uh, should we give a little, a, a secret no, for anyone Just who in wants Olympico, to... in Olympico, the higher, the better. Yeah. 
if you if you want good seats the higher up the better it feels like you're far away but you have an incredible view of the whole thing and we were like three seats from the very 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 top and then there's this like whole sort of balcony bit that you can just chill on it's like you have your own terrace it's like you have your own terrace beautiful oh and the sun and we haven't really set the atmosphere you saw it on tv it was stunning if you weren't there just the most beautiful weather the best sort of energy from everyone italy fans filled that stadium it was pretty much sold out yeah i can't remember what you're talking about the second try the second try was perfection we said it from up there that play was superb and yes the england commentary might come around and be like oh it was terrible defense from england and not mention the italy attacking but all tries come from defensive yeah. <laughs> errors i mean there's not a single try that hasn't come ever from a defensive error <laughs> I mean, that, that's just a non-point it's yeah. a non-topic every try comes from someone missing a tackle or being in the wrong place and if that didn't happen we wouldn't have tried <laughs> and it's credit to the attacking team if the defending team fuck up like that, that, that it blows my mind that an english analysis of that try can totally ignore the attacking side well, technically he was welsh it was sam warburton for the bbc yeah let's slap but, him well you know what i he's slagged italy enough that i feel I, fine I to have, slag him you know he was a great player i'm you know obviously british and irish lions captain so that almost makes it worse because it's a deliberate malice that he ignores italy so much yeah. and gives yeah. them such little attention i think it's because wales and, is and, struggling and, and i think it comes from yeah here we go here's the big thing i think it comes from a massive insecurity yeah. that he knows that welsh rugby is not going anywhere yeah that he knows that Italian rugby is going yeah. somewhere and that actually Cardiff, his side, is also not really going anywhere. So I think that's where it comes from. I he, think... he doesn't feel confident praising the Italians yeah. because he knows that by doing so, it's going to put Wales eventually right at the bottom of the pile. Anyway, there we go. So I, I want to keep upbeat, but it is really frustrating no, really when frustrating. you see... Italy, I think you're three right. points behind England, the best ever score they've ever had against England. They were ahead at half time. They scored more tries at them. They played the better rugby. And then the BBC and Sam Warburton, and to be honest, Ugo Monnier as well, say literally nothing. Yeah. Nothing about it. I mean, it's, I, I know that their paymasters tell them like what they should focus on but it's still desperately disappointing. It's, and also I think it's really bad for the tournament in general. I completely agree. I think it, it's that really petty thing of like, when you think, when you have an inferiority complex, you need to bring other people down as opposed to like, just supporting each other and like acknowledging like good is good and, and how much good comes from supporting good, especially in a sport that, let's be honest we've all said it hasn't got the money and the following that we hope it, it it could one day get if we're just spending our time like commenting on how shit england's defense was without going but italy forced them into a situation where they were screwed defensively then what are we watching rugby for how do you watch i just i don't understand how you look at that try and you don't go that is sublime work from italy End of slagging off English punditry. English-speaking punditry. Moving on. I'd like to give a shout-out to England's 16th man. Go which on. Which was the massive Ingle area that Italy has. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're right. They, I don't know if they did it on purpose. 
Maybe they did. I don't know, but it did. It did play a part in the game. They're allowed to choose it. Yeah, yeah. As as my mate Hoggy told me, uh, when he scored a try against Italy, there it took all the skin off his elbows because the football pitch is grass, and then after that, it's artificial. And he dove on his elbows, and and it took the skin off him. So there you are, Stadio Olimpico. It's not the perfect stadium, but it's in a beautiful location. Wish it didn't have a running track, but the clues in the name, yeah. and it. It is getting fuller and more atmosphere all the time. Oh, it was great. Yeah, I think that end goal dead ball area was deliberately, I guess they chose, Italy choose, right? Because it's their home game, how big they want it to be. But it definitely, as you say, benefited England much more than it did Italy. It did suggest, and the commentary did say like, oh, they've probably chosen to have it, keep it really long so that Italy can kind of do crossfield kicks and see if they can score that way. But they didn't really seem to use it that much, whereas England just kept punting it down. And like in any other game, it goes out, it goes dead and you've got to go all the way back. And instead they ended up with a 22 dropout. No, it ended up with a, what's it called? Goal line dropout. It ended up with a goal line dropout. Yes, yes, I especially like the commentary uh, in one area when they were talking about how England keeps shouting, get on Negre, get on Negre. And... Um, it made me think that maybe the only research they did before the game was just watch the, the documentary. Well, you know what, coach? We've spoken long and hard about English-speaking rugby commentary being very lazy, and I think that the coaching squad probably aren't much less lazy. Well, actually, no, I, I, I will stop you there a little bit because at the end of Steve Borthwick's, or during Steve Borthwick's press conference after the game, he and um, Jamie George spoke for a few minutes about the Italian side and how they prepared for them. And they spoke so eloquently and well about the Italians that they were actually a credit to rugby as opposed to the press and the punditry. Except for the fact that Steve Borthwick kept referring to Benetton as Treviso. Yeah, Which yeah, was yeah, like yeah. Boomer like 20 years ago. I know, I know, but that's what he called them when he played. He, he played against them. That, yeah. That's what they always were to him. Yeah, but, we'll let that go. But, you know, you've got Jamie George saying that he thinks in, uh, Italy could well win a couple of games this this Six Nations. And you had Borthwick really interesting saying because it was a new coach, they had to watch everything. They had to watch what he'd done at Paris. They had to watch what Benetton were doing because the players were coming from there. They had to watch the old Italy games, but they, they had to sort of watch all of it, which is... He said it really eloquently and nicely, but at the end of the day, you have a plan. Everyone has a plan, like in boxing, and then someone tries to punch them in the face. Until you get hit, yeah. Yeah, so they had a plan. Italy also had a plan, and I think in open play, Italy's plan was better. Italy let themselves down with a lot of execution, particularly in that second half when they got into positions and cocked it up. Yeah. That was unfortunate. However, if that's the baseline of rugby that we can expect from Italy then I think they are going to cause some serious problems. And to the point where I'm like, you know, they don't have anything to fear going to Ireland. Yeah. And Ireland are the second best side in the world. Ireland are fantastic. But if you can play the way you played in that first half against them, you don't have anything to fear. They were decent. And also, their scrum got better when the newbies came on. Can we shout them out, please? Let's give them a shout out. Spagnolo on his debut, smashing Dan Cole. Now, first thing he does, he comes on and he takes his veteran prop and he just drives him into the mud. And there's a consequence. They didn't know if anyone, like, if he should celebrate, if he should smile, if he should look. He doesn't. He's never been in that situation before. But he came on. He just dominated them. And at the end, when England were on the Italy try line, the five meter scrum, and it was the other side of the scrum, and Zilocchi did him over, and he got Italy back in the game. Yeah. And you know, let's not forget the depth that Italy have. That's them missing Ferrari and Riccioni. 
who are their normal two yeah, tight yeah, yeah. heads. And Nikatara coming on as um, hooker, I thought he did well. Is a core debutante. He did great, massive ball carrier, did some wonderful steps, like stepped a toje, literally like galloped over a toje. It was beautiful to watch. Off the bench, I thought, considering how fresh and green a bunch of them were, they did really well. Last minute pull out for Capuzzo. Yeah. And Lorenzo Pani came on. I don't think they used him as well as they could, but obviously they had their game plan already sorted out. But, you know, for me, he's well over six foot. He's got a massive boot on him and he really could have helped them get down the pitch and help them get out of their territory in that first 20 minutes of the second half if they used him more. Let's maybe talk about the sort of things that maybe need improving or could have been better. Um, I agree with you. I think Pani, like when I heard that he was starting in place of Caporzo, I was like, okay, so they're really going to make use of his boot. And he literally didn't put foot to boot from what I remember. So I'm kind of like, why didn't you just start Jesse? who is a try scoring machine and what else can that guy do to prove to you that he deserves a spot on a Six Nations squad? Well, I don't think England's kicking game was that good that day. So they didn't really need it. Yeah, but some of the penalties, like right, Italy get a penalty and they could kick it. Like if they use Pani to kick that penalty instead of Gobbezi, it's going to go farther into the corner. Yeah, just like silly things like that. I was like, well, why aren't you letting him do it? Maybe it really was. He's so green. And you know, when you're just used to having like your Tommy Allens or your Garbizis that you trust to kick those balls, you're like, okay, I don't know. You know, when you're... Maybe Garbizzi just felt up to it. And if yeah. your 10 wants to do it, you yeah. want him to have the confidence. Uh, the other thing that I think they will really look at this week ahead of Ireland is the line out. That was my main thing. I think we all said it while we were watching the game. Like the line out very rarely went plan again as i just said let's not just go oh italy's line out was bad england on italy's line out were superb itoji was just grabbing everything he could and, and vice versa it was one of those games where the defensive line out plays were better than the than the people throwing the ball in yeah that's something they absolutely will look at because they left a couple of things out though that in fact i think lucchese hopefully he's dusted himself off a bit after this weekend i think there was a few errors there but that's because he's been out for a while and welcome back. But again, I just think Italy, they looked really sharp. The centre pairing of Menoncello and Brex, that was rock solid. Yeah. You know, for me, they had their third choice scrum half starting. And they did that yeah. because he's the only one that's had any time with the coach because all the other ones were playing away. They like had Martin Pedrello was playing last weekend in France and Stephen Varney was playing last weekend for Gloucester. So they had no time. Literally, they just come in, met a new coach and gone, right, where am I going? So they played there for my money, third choice scrum half to start. He actually had a really good game. Yeah. A really good game. Got, Obviously, he scored a got try. Got try. Got that first try in 11 minutes. Look, Italy fully deserved to be ahead in that, at the end of the first half. In fact, it was unfortunate that they weren't ahead by more. But that's what happens when... England kick all their penalties. And they did give away probably Italy a few too many penalties. Let's be objective about that, which just allowed England to kind of claw their way back into the game. But also shows that England weren't arrogant and going, oh, let's just kick to the corner and try and score. They felt threatened and they needed to claw those points back through those penalties. Absolutely. Italy did give a penalty away in the first play of the game. They kicked it and then immediately gave the penalty away which I think was Lucchese. Yeah. But all in all, I think it was a super, super, super solid beginning. Obviously, it would have been phenomenal if Italy had been able to 
win. But as we said, at the end of the day, that could have been a 34-17 game. And then it's a completely different yeah. conversation. You know, they took it from to the 84th minute to get that last try and then kick that conversion to lose by three points, get a losing bonus point, And they're still in this tournament. They go to the second best team in the world away. But again, as I said, I think they haven't got anything to fear there. If they perform. Yeah. Well, if they don't perform, they're gonna get. It's gonna be a very, very bad day. And unfortunately, that is the narrative that we still haven't been able to shake. Right? It's all about changing the narrative. And the narrative is, people will watch the England game and will be like, "Oh, well, what Italy need to learn to do now is like actually be competitive in all of their games and not just in like one or two of them." Yeah. <laughs> people aren't saying that about the French, and the French got absolutely destroyed. Yeah. But that's it. No, but that's because, like, you know, a narrative is a narrative in the same way that people talk about Italy. Uh, and it's just because it's been going on for ages and ages. People talk about Italy as being passionate. Whenever you hear like a post-match commentary on Italy, it's like, oh, well, we know that Italy are going to be passionate. They'll be passionate. It's like, no, guys, Italy are good. Can we stop calling them passionate? Equally, they're not like we need we it's on us. It, I'm saying it because it's on Italy to change the narrative. And so if Italy turn around and have a disaster in Ireland, we're back to square one even though we know that Ireland are the second best team in the world. It'll be a good game. Though. I hope so. I do hope so. It was a great game to be there for. We were so, the atmosphere at halftime was amazing. The end was sad, but it was a great game. And I was really proud of them. And Casada at the end said that he was proud of them, disappointed in the result, proud of the boys. And something that he said, which was quite interesting, was that he went into the changing rooms at the end of the game and said that it actually made him quite happy to see that not a single player looked satisfied by that result. And all things considered, it was a great result. It was. Did you see Andrea Piardi in the sort of Italy group as they were subbing players on and off? I think he was there as like a little referee consultant for the Italy team, not for the refing team. Yeah, it was a bit bizarre. Oh, I didn't see him. It was when they put Zuliani on, when Canone, baby Canone was injured, and then swapped them back. I think he was there to just tell them the rules. He was like, guys, mm -hmm. you can't, you can't take him off temporarily unless it's a right, head they, injury. They, 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 they knew that, but I think they were taping him up and then realizing what was going on. Obviously, they know that. <laughs> But it was nice to see our friend. Casada's energy. Let's talk about Casada. It was his first game. It was the first time we saw him coaching the Italy team in a Six Nations game, in any game. So his first game as head coach of Italy. What did we think? I really liked it. I liked that. Good. I like that he wears a suit. I like that he wears a suit, especially in the warm up. You know, he's wearing that black suit. He's walking around. He's looking suave. But I think he's got a very positive yeah. outlook and he comes across like a winner and he comes across like someone who can really shoulder a lot of pressure and still have a smile on their face. And I think that's exactly the kind of personality you want at the top of it. Obviously, it's early days. Yeah. I don't know why they don't all wear suits. I don't understand. Well, I guess I kind of didn't understand that because they go out for the warm up, don't they? And they throw a few balls around. But I thought that's why they have stuff. <laughs> Probably officer class, is it? <laughs> you would if you, if you were the head coach, you'd have people like wheeling you on like one of those ancient Egyptian chairs, and you just point at people <laughs> and tell them to pick things up. <laughs> That's exactly what would happen because I'd have the RFU's budget. But I think he's kept all the exciting attacking rugby that yeah. we hoped he would, and added a little bit of um, pragmatism. 
that maybe we hoped we would as well. So all in all, I think so far on that one viewing, yeah, really impressive. I agree. Uh, let's give a couple of shout yeah. outs. Who are your players, Italy players of the game? I have a couple. Obviously, men and cello. Fire. As expected, was great. I thought actually, I'm not sure if I'd start him against Ireland, but Alessandro Garbisi, I thought, had a really good game for him. Really, really good game. I thought um, Spaniolo obviously came on, had a fantastic Brilliant. game. Eddie then saw him the next day in near Piazza Navona and went to say well done. Yeah, I saw him in a cafe and when he'd finished and he was leaving, I went and told him how well he'd done. And he did. He really objectively did. He was up there with like best players of the game. I thought Brex was great as well, as Always. usual, in defence, but like his offloads were timed to perfection. Brilliant work. Rutzer, Rutzer in that first half was doing mammoth, mammoth work, both at the lineouts, in turnovers, in carries. Yeah, superb. And Tommy Allen at fullback. Feeling very comfortable. Yeah. Not even in his 10 no. jersey, was he? But no, he played very well. The leading point scorer now for Italy in the Six Nations. Well done, him. I'm not saying anything because I was going to say he's going to miss that kick, but I want to keep it pause. <laughs> well, that's the first kick he missed since March 2023, I think it was, in like um, in an actual test match. So Very good. Oh, I thought you were going to say, but he missed a kick. <laughs> well, and yes, he missed one kick, but... I mean, Eddie will tell you how that kick actually is kind of inconsequential to how the game would have ended anyway. But he hasn't missed a kick since March 2023 in Test Match Rugby for Italy. So let's cut him some slack. Yes, and the kick didn't matter. Some stat. Which is just because of the way the game panned out. Because if he had got that kick, England would have kicked the points at the end instead of putting it to the corner. But no, all in all, Italy was great. But all the players were fantastic. And actually, I can't think of a single area of play apart from maybe game management from Ford, where England were better than Italy. I thought Italy's backs were better in attack and defence. I thought Italy's forwards were better in attack and in defence. Their scrum was stronger. All of it was stronger. The only thing England had was that Ford knows how to win a game. And England are used to winning against Italy. That plays a huge part in it. The fact that the scrums were pretty even, I think, is mammoth, especially when the the subs came on. Mammoth. On paper, England were England at the end, in the 78th minute, 79th minute, when Lamado gets the yellow card, they choose a scrum. Why do they choose a scrum? Because they think they're going to smash the Italy scrum. They don't choose a scrum because it's a 50-50. And what happens? I just think they were incompetent. I just think they were incompetent. That was just, no one really understands why they did that. Like, they could have just kicked yeah, touch. But, but no, but they thought like, oh, well, you know, we've got a bunch of like Italy newbies in the front row. Let's choose a scrum. It was good. England were terrible on the, on the front row, considering the players that they had. And the fact that it, England had so many lineouts in sort of Italy's 22 and went for that rolling mall and were stopped time and again. At one point, there was basically the entire England team trying to push this more drive this more and it goes nowhere england couldn't execute a try on average two points for every entry into the 22 which is a really low score i think italy were like 3.7 points for every entry into this 22 yeah they scored england scored 17 of their points from kicks that's all you need to know they scored two tries Standard. let's quickly let's wrap this up looking ahead to ireland what are your obvious changes are there any changes what do you do against Ireland, who, who were insane on Friday night. We watched this in, uh, should we give them a shout out? Scholars Bar. Scholars yes. Bar in Rome. 
on Via Vittorio Emanuele, a very busy pub. Which thought we'd go there and, you know, we had an all right time. It was rammed, obviously, yeah. but we had a table and some nice people next to us. So all in all, it was good. But that game, Ireland made France look bad. So what do we do with our Italy team? What, are there any obvious changes you want to put in? Not oh, really. We didn't say that obviously Sebastian Negri is now out, which is sad, very sad. It appears from the rumours that we've heard that he basically like fractured a rib in the fifth minute of the game and continued to play for the rest of the game with a fractured rib, which is mental. But so he is out for the next couple of weeks. So the good news is, if there is good news from that, obviously we wish him well, speedy recovery is that Italy are well-stocked in that back row. So it might mean that Isacor gets more game time, Zuliani gets more game time, whatever it is. It's not the end of the world for Italy if they're going to lose someone from from a position. The back row is where you want to lose them from. Yeah, they've got huge depth there. They've called up someone from Zebra. I can't remember who it was, but also they've got Ross Vincent who's knocking around the squad from Exeter. So maybe it's a time for him. Probably Isacor would be starting. But even then, you could still have a back row with... Zuliani, Canone, and Lamaro, and Isacor on the bench. So yeah. no, no, it's great. Um, they've also called up uh, Leonardo Marin. Good. Yeah. So yeah, I think if Capozzo's tummy bug is okay, I would probably swap him and Pani as my main difference. Yeah, the Irish try to smash him whenever they play him. They always go in at him really hard, but you know. He's a, he does make magic. But otherwise, I keep things pretty much the same. I'd probably get let Pedrello have a have a look in. Probably, yeah. But then again, it's like it's, I, I'm totally at ease with whatever they choose because it'll be done on what's happening in training, and yeah. they've got enough players there that you don't have to pick someone just because. Yeah. They're a big name. The only thing I wouldn't change is Braxman and Cello in the centres, and I actually think Garbisi was great at ten. He did what we wanted him to do and what we needed him to do. If he could kick those balls into touch just a little bit further, that would be great. But I'm sure he's working on that. Yeah, and just another game at 10 when he's been playing out of position a lot for his club. Yeah. So. So there we are. First weekend of rugby. Six Nations rugby is over. And we've got weekend number two coming up. I'm looking forward to it. Eddie and I will be at the England-Wales game. Kind of hope England beat the Welsh quite heavily, but we, we will see. I was very annoyed that Wales had that comeback in the second half against Scotland. Yep, the table's wide open though. Yeah, Italy is sitting fifth in the table, guys, and France is smack down at the bottom. Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought? What made Coach mad this week? I got mugged. <laughs> Where? I was... um. Well, let's not say it was a mugging. It was more of a pickpocket. But no, I got mugged while I was intoxicated in Rome. Um, took my phone um, and luckily had the foresight or the nose to realise that it had gone missing. And I chased him down and wrestled him <laughs> until I got my phone back. Oh, well done you. So, so I think it's good if we give context to this story because we had a, a very biz, a very intense Friday night. We met up, coach had just flown in that day. We went to the bar, went to Scholars, watched the Ireland game, didn't really watch it, drinking a ton of beer. And then we went to, for anyone who lives in Rome, Campo de Fiori, had a couple of drinks. And then we were like, right guys, we've got to go. Let's go to bed, bye. Saw coach off, we went, got in a taxi, went home. Coach went on his merry, merry way and ended up 
getting mugged. And then they end up back in the pub. And <laughs> yeah, I felt very masculine after my my wrestle, my mini drunken wrestle. And uh, the the pub and the the bouncer just let me in. There was a queue, and I think he might have saw what happened and just went. <laughs> Come on, in, mate. You've had a tough couple of minutes. Because I just, I just saw, I just sauntered in. I was like, I dropped my panini in the skirmish, so I couldn't finish either eating that. So I thought, well, oh shit, you dropped your sandwich. You were well, really looking forward to that sandwich. Yeah. Well, I was in a hurry because he had got my phone <laughs> and was lightly jogging away. So I felt there was a need of urgency, and the panini could. Oh well, at least you lost it in a doing something valiant. Unlike in Venice, where it was just stolen by a seagull. Yeah, actually, I think I just might be cursed with paninis. There's no S on a panini. Every time I have a panini. It's one panino, two panini. He's from Birmingham. Leave him alone. <laughs> panini. So what I thought was really funny about this was the next day we obviously met up to go watch the game. And it was probably like two hours into us hanging out that he thought to mention this story. Like, oh, yeah, by the way, I was mugged last night. Basically lost my phone. If you'd lost your phone, I mean, you would have been uncontactable for the rest of the weekend. Oh, it would have ruined the whole trip because you wouldn't have had your tickets because yeah. I had your tickets. Um, I wouldn't have been able to get in contact yeah. with you. It would have absolutely ruined the weekend. So when I did, when I did get it back, I was, you know, there was a mild rush from it because I just, I feel like I dodged a bullet. I learned a lesson. What was the lesson? Sorry. Don't be, don't be hammered. <laughs> okay. Sure, that's a lesson you haven't quite learned. <laughs> I'm sure I'll learn it so again. this man but... just sort of got close to Coach, took the phone, walked away, and then Coach went over to him and was like, you've got my phone, without being sure that he did have his phone because he was smashed at this point. The guy was like, no, I don't. No, I don't. And then... Then he did. I I pinned him up against the wall. And then what did he say, Coach? Um, I'll give you a phone back for, for some money. And then I realised, oh, so he definitely does have my phone. This assault was warranted. So I continued to to wrestle him until I got my phone back, and I did, and I felt great. And then he just walked off. So I went for a pint. Yeah, he scuttled off like the like the scoundrel he was. He was perfectly happy to ruin yeah. our weekend. Yeah. So yeah. fuck that guy, and uh, I'm gl- I'm glad I could get it off him. Yeah, but it was a weird one because it made me mad myself for letting myself get in that situation. But yeah, it was a it was a victory. I felt very masculine. And then the next day, I, I maxed out a scrum machine. So it was an all in all, a very, very successful manly, manly weekend, weekend for you, coach. Indeed. <laughs> I'm going to move on. But before we do, I want you to finish up by saying it was, all things considered, the nicest mugging you've ever had. <laughs> you, you, like... Yeah. Yes. Even in Rome, the muggings are classic. <laughs> that, would, that would not have happened and gone the same way in, in Birmingham. <laughs> In fact, I wouldn't have probably done that in Birmingham. I would have just let him have it and got on with my there life. There you go. So even even in Rome, the bad shit doesn't feel so bad. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what made Coach Mad this week. Well, there we go, guys. Six Nations weekend, number one, down. Italy, we should mention very quickly, the under-20s did, of course, have their first weekend. Italy under-20s played England under-20s in the Manigo. They lost relatively heavily, unfortunately. But that's their toughest game. So 
maybe. But it wasn't that they didn't play very well. I don't yeah. think they could play much better than that. In other news, uh, Lewis Liner looks like will be leaving Harlequins to join Benetton, which is huge news. Uh, but we wait to see if that's confirmed. But that would be him basically signalling that he's prepared to play for Italy as well. Guys, I don't want to announce anything, but I have it on pretty good authority that it's pretty hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, confirmed. We shall see. And in final news, yesterday, Eddie and I went along to the URC Italian Media Day uh, here in London. Coach wasn't invited. No, he was invited, but he has a job, so he couldn't come. And it was great. We uh, have some content coming out of our day, so keep your eyes on our social media. Uh, We'll be releasing stuff in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. It was fun. We hung out with World Cup winner Malachi Fekatoa. He was great. And Luca Marisi. And... Fatuli Paella. Yeah, had a lovely great guys, day. all three of them, lovely, lovely guys. Unfortunately, Jacob Umaga was meant to be there, but he too had a tummy bug. There's a lot of gastro going around, Coach. Yeah, let me just sort that out. Drink more water, guys. You're meant to be athletes. What was it that um, the Benetton mascot had that they could, they couldn't show Influenza. up? Influenza. Influenza. <laughs> Coach was like, "That's not even a real disease. <laughs> a virus." Sorry, he didn't believe it was real. So I question whether you think gastroenteritis is even real. <laughs> oh, I know that's real. Ruined Christmas. <laughs> and on that bombshell. We'll see you next week, guys. Thank you for listening. As usual, thank you for being here. Please, if you haven't already, give us a rating on Spotify. Five stars if you like us, please. That would be great. Yeah, follow the Instagrams, the TikToks, the social media in general. We're there. We're trying. We're doing our best. And sometimes we put some good stuff out there. Well, until next time, arrivederci. Ciao. Ciao a tutti. Ciao.